Stories, fables, ghostly tales. A riddle plagues the mind of a man. It's burrowed so deep that medication loosens its grip, but never does its hold on him cease. Brilliant long-time listeners or awesome binge listeners, do you recall episode 231, The Riddle of Oakshire? Well, it has a part two. You see, I was going to do a creepypasta today, but I got a lovely email explaining that part two was up and ready for reading. And straight from Michael Yacone himself, I've been granted the chance to read this to you all. So I couldn't resist. And do you know what else I can't resist? The delicious English breakfast tea. This isn't an ad of course, but I am aware that my passion may come off as an advert for tea. Either way, I love the stuff. I've kind of shied away from having straight sugar, and now I'm going for honey and syrups, which is arguably the same thing. But, you know, baby steps. It tastes so good. And I imagine there's a lot of you out there that do the same thing. Now, what I've done is added the original story to this one to make it one long episode and to jog your memory. Please let me know though if you do or do not like this and would rather me upload the episode with a link to the previous. I'm keen for your feedback around that so in the future I'll know how to proceed. And now, make sure you have your own beverage whether you're at work or not and get ready for a Cthulhu-esque story like no other. For those of you who have listened and recall episode 231, skip to minute 26 for part 2. Thanks. Beyond the veil is dark, and beyond dark, the heart that must be slain. The veil is everything you know, and the dark, Oakshire. This was a message handed to me, as per my grandfather's will. It was peculiar, but nothing unusual. As far back as my childhood, my grandfather would impress my molding mind with thought-provoking riddles, cleverly scripted scavenger hunts, and the like. Even from the grave, it seemed, his last wish was to impart one last game of mental quandary. I missed him so and the idea that this was, as cherished to him as it was to me, filled me to the brim with bittersweet joy only deep nostalgia could muster. I knew the reference of Oakshire well. Being a small town in the countryside far west, few people were known to reside there, but many spoke eerie, ghoulish stories of the place. Journalists often visited its simple folk, bombarding them with inquiries that only proved to annoy. Eventually, after an instance of trespassing that ended in violence, visitors stopped harassing the town, out of respect or fear, for its quiet occupants. They just wanted to be left alone, is all. I could sympathize, and though I would normally never test such waters, I sought passionately to discover the answer to Grandfather's Riddle. Surely, my intentions wouldn't be met with similar animosity. Optimism floated my spirits as the taxi ferried me to the uneventful Oakshire. As expected, I was greeted with quiet, cobbled streets 
with even quieter residents passing me by on the sidewalk. At first, I thought they did not want to bother with me, only to prove myself wrong when noticing several of the dreary townsfolk peeking at the corner of their eyes just before I left their view. They were aware of my presence all right. That same early optimism did not take long to sink into uneasiness. They were watching my every step, cold in their sideways expressions and silent in their vigil. It was already clear interaction would prove the most challenging aspect of my visit. The town itself was simple enough. Everything from stores to houses sat side by side along a single winding stretch of street, short enough to traverse easily, though long and curved enough to not see from end to end. The buildings were constructed without space between them, unable to journey behind them without having access to the structure's back door. A dreary air of solitude lingered in Oakshire, the kind that could leave any outsider feeling unwelcome or out of place. The light wrapped into scarlet as it sank behind the blue mountains in the west. I would need to find a place to sleep for the night soon. Eventually, I came across an olden day inn at the end of Oakshire and decided to make it my place of rest. Upon entering, I found the inside vacant, with the exception of one middle-aged innkeeper behind his desk. His white, button-down collared shirt was sloppily untucked and his sleeves rolled up to his elbows. He wiped his spectacles with an overused cloth as he listened to the radio static. I couldn't understand a single word that buzzed from its speakers. He heard me come in, and so adjusted his spectacles on the ridge of his nose to stare at me in the same manner I've become accustomed to. What do you want, fella? He questioned with a drawl. I would like to rent a room for the night. He sucked his teeth at my request and glared a moment longer before handing me a key. In the same gruff, unwelcoming voice, he uttered, Second floor, room 11. I thanked him and offered to pay, yet he refused. He insisted I pay him in the morning, something about service before payment. Such professional response, given everyone's behavior, sounded strange to me. In a way, it proved to further unnerve me. Grandfather must have counted on the social tribulation I would need to endure to solve his riddle. He was known to include unusual problems in his games, though never to this extent. I would have to muster all of my inner resources to solve this. The way to my room was worn down, almost decrepit. The instability of the stairs was unquestionable, and the portraits hung along its ascent were dusty and faded. When I reached the second floor, the conditions were no different. The floor creaked unusually loud with every step, and the wall paint peeled in many places. The doorknobs and hinges all rusted to a urine color. When I reached room 11 and shakily fit the key into the lock, something moved abruptly on the other side. I froze then and there, my hand quivering with key in hand. I dared not move for fear of what lay beyond that portal. I gulped hard and slowly positioned my free hand on the pistol I kept secret on the inside of my pants waist. When enough courage was mustered, all motion appeared to slow. As I slammed the door open, 
My pistol was drawn faster than I thought I was capable of, yet my aim convulsed under the stress. It pointed wildly into the darkness. Nothing stirred beyond what I could see. Just to be certain, I waited a moment more before inching to the light switch. When I flipped the switch, I immediately refocused my uneasy sights. Again, there was nothing. The switch turned on a single lamp on the nightstand beside the bed, of which I was to sleep in. The room, surprisingly enough, was practically spotless. The paint was perfectly level and without tears, the bed inviting in its presentation, and the curtains crisp. Nothing seemed amiss about this room, but then again, that was even more unusual. I did not withdraw my firearm until I checked the closet, bathroom, and every corner of the chamber. Proper furnishing aside, nothing was here. I know I heard something mere moments before. I dialed the front desk from the large phone that sat on the nightstand. The innkeeper answered, irritable as ever, ensuring no one had been in that room. Matter of fact, he stated, ain't nobody else checked in tonight. I apologized and thanked him for his time before hanging up. It makes sense, considering Altshire's infamous stance with outsiders. I should have expected as much, but such information did little to lower the hairs on my neck. I retired for the evening, pistol under my pillow and lamplight on. I kept the bathroom light aglow as well, for who knows what deranged thing could stalk me from there. Nothing happened for the remainder of the evening, but I still didn't sleep well. At the first sight of dawn, I readied myself for the day. My movements were sloppy and it was difficult to keep my eyes open. When I journeyed downstairs, I was met again by the innkeeper. Expecting his initial disposition, I made an effort to keep our transaction brief. I handed him the going rate without making eye contact. Thank you kindly, sir. You have a blessed day now, you hear? My words stumbled away from me as my blood froze to his cheerful, glowing words. They were so bright, good-willed and genuine. It was, without a doubt, the same man as before, yet what became of him? I must have stared at him long since he tilted his head in concern. You alright, mister? Need me to call the doctor? N no I'm alright. I sped immediately to the exit. I knew he was waving at me with a smile. I could feel it. The second I reached the sidewalk, a mother and her child passed me with a lovely Good morning! In fact, everyone who passed me did. They were merry, kind, and equally unnerving. It wasn't right. Nothing was right. I could feel my face contort the longer I kept the facade of cheerful replies. I had to get out of town. It was too much. There was something unnatural going on. No previous visitor to Oakshire mentioned this nonsense. When I initially arrived in Oakshire, the police station was the first building in sight, where the inn where I slept sat on the opposite end of the town's snaking design. Yet, when I passed the police station, the inn greeted me just beyond it. It was impossible. I continued straight, greeted again by the same people I passed along the way just moments prior. I encountered every store and home I already came across until again I found myself at the police station next to the inn. This time, 
However, two officers and the sheriff stood outside the station's entrance. The sheriff asked with a humid smile, You lost, fella? I couldn't do anything else but panic, desperate to escape this nightmarish place of smiles. I need to get out, but it keeps looping. This is insane! Help me get out. Help me out. The officers looked at each other before they marched toward me. They didn't speak among themselves and the sheriff never once took his eyes off me. Take it easy, stranger. We'll be more than happy to oblige. The officer wrestled me to the ground and forced handcuffs on my wrists and relinquished me of my pistol. I was too exhausted to resist, so they took me inside without a fight. I was dragged into the station containing only one office and two holding cells. They threw me in and locked the door behind me. When you're good and relaxed, we'll let you out. Take your easy till then. They brought my pistol to their office before leaving the station. I was entirely unattended. I sat there, bewildered at the recent events. The town looped endlessly. Everyone smiled unerringly, and no one seemed aware of anything unusual about it. My questionably sane pondering was interrupted by a hoarse voice that addressed me from the other cell. His clothes were torn, covered in dirt, and his brown hair was long and unruly. A sense of hopeless defeat hung in his glazed, unfocused eyes. His voice was strained, as if he gave up any need for it a long time ago. You fell asleep here, didn't you? I nodded, to which he let out a heavy sigh. <sighs> Welcome to Oakshire, kid. The happiest place in hell. Listen up. My neighboring cellmate proceeded to tell me about Oakshire, how the place we were in was not the same town we visited. That those before us who spent a night in Oakshire Inn woke up in this other shire. He also elaborated it was the townsfolk's reason for being so disgruntled with visitors. They knew full well outsiders don't wake up where they slept. So, they changed their demeanor to deter unnecessary disappearances. Apparently, they only sought to let a few people reside in the inn a year. How do you know this? And why are there no missing persons reports? Learned it from the guy before me. Who learned it from the girl before him? Etc, etc. Also, no one knows we're missing. We don't exist in the real world anymore. At least, that's what the sheriff told me. Any further questions failed to emerge from my gaped mouth. No one was looking for me? My family, my friends, no one knew I exist anymore? I couldn't believe it. I wouldn't believe it. Before you have the same freak out I did, hear me out. Since you're here, I'm going to be taken away. They have something under Othershire, something that made loud noises that night, the night my first cellmate was taken away. If this is anything like the books and films, this crazy cycle might stop if you get out of here and kill it. He tossed me a crudely crafted key through the bars that landed at my feet. It's a skeleton key. I would have used it, but I don't have the energy anymore. I've been here so long. You have what's needed to end this, so you won't need me anyway. I was confused for a moment at his words. His eyes rolled at me as he pointed to the office across from us. The fucking gun! 
Shoot whatever's down there. Stop those creepy, annoyingly pleasant phonies. The front door slammed open from out of view. I took the short time before they came around the corner to hide the key under my foot. Speak of the devils. The sheriff and his henchmen stood before us, first approaching my cell with long, nightmarish grins. You feeling alright there? Hang tight. We'll have you out in no time. As for you... The sheriff took two giddy steps to my cellmate's door. His officers unlocked the cell and hungrily lunged at him. He was so tired and worn, unable to muster any meaningful retaliation. They took him away with his hands cuffed as the sheriff whistled a backwards tune. I made my move no more than seconds after the front door closed behind them. I grabbed the key with my teeth and carefully unlocked my handcuffs. Then, released myself from my cell. I bolted for the office, using the key to unlock it as well. My pistol sat unprotected and still fully loaded on their desk. How fortuitous! I left the station, weapon in hand, and found myself in an ominously vacant other shire. The sky was crimson, without the sun or mountains in sight. An unearthly tinge of light brown coated every building in cobblestone, which, for reasons I cared not to understand, appeared ancient and in disrepair. Mixed with the bloody sky, Othershire unveiled itself to be a nightmare town of rusted monochrome. There wasn't a soul in sight, but a haunting drone of chants hummed from the inn. I sprinted until I burst through the door with gun raised. I followed the horrid hymns, past the innkeeper's desk and into his office. There I found a hidden passage in the wall left open. It led to a spiral staircase and, with utmost caution, I descended. The depth it reached could be impossible, yet by then I was already aware of the impracticality in thinking anything ordinary as native to Othershire. When I reached its bottom, only a dark, solemn corridor waited for me. I held the pistol in my right hand while I followed the wall with my left. It was like I stared into the gaping maw of the abyss, yawning into infinity from where no man should tread. The air grew thick with musk, and the wall I felt was cold and damp. With each passing minute, the chant grew from a hum to a loud chorus, so I knew I was drawing close. It continued to stretch and echo on until I stumbled upon an open door, at its end that flooded with a deep scarlet glow. From just outside its entrance, there hung a stench I couldn't explain, but the hymns originated from just beyond it. I quietly stepped in and there they were. The entire town danced and sang in crooked steps and speeches around a seemingly bottomless well. The chamber was impossibly large. Its high ceiling and far walls blasted back their alien songs. They didn't notice me. So I crept as close as I could with both hands firm on my pistol. At the well's mouth I saw my cellmate knelt into its precipice. He was smiling, staring into the well with a gleam of madness that had replaced the defeat in his eyes. He loosened an inhuman shriek of delight before he tumbled forward into its depths. The celebrants cheered and applauded. I dared not imagine what they could have done to him to make him so willingly to plunge. It was sickening. The jubilation ceased abruptly, their last echoes painfully diminished in seconds. From the deep of the well was a crunching noise, 
that forced shivers across my skin. In unison, they turned to face me and the end of my pistol. Their gleeful smiles were wide beyond normal facial expressions, and their teeth more tall and crooked than any should. Their eye sockets were empty, yet I could feel them stare into me. I aimed in their general direction, for I was not close enough for them to grab me, but my hands trembled painfully under the weight of their joined eyeless gaze. I couldn't pull the trigger. It was too much. They opened their mouths as if their jaws were unhinged, and in that moment came a roar that shook both the earth and my mind. It was shrill and otherworldly. For the time the room shook, my thoughts also shook away from anything sane. Everything in my head warped and blurred to sight and colours impossible and improbable. The noise didn't come from them, it came from the well. Dozens of long arms erupted from the well's unseen darkness. They were slender and multi-jointed with flesh of pale obsidian, each ending in clawed hands. In droves, they seized the other Shire residents before dragging them down. After the first was taken into the well, there remained a constant crunching noise, identical from when my cellmates fell in. I decided to take my leave amidst the chaos, yet the door from whence I came was no longer there. Instead, I was forced to watch the arachnid-like arms pick them off one by one, all the while not a single one of them fought back or fled. They just continued to stare at me, still and unblinking. When the last of them was taken, the arms remained on the surface. There must have been at least two dozen of them. They firmly planted themselves, shaped like hooks from the well to the ground. They tensed in their footing until their slender muscles lifted out the body from whence they came. When it first rose, I thought myself mad for concocting such a phantasm of biology in my mind. Its torso was vaguely humanoid, though a number of shorter arms and tendrils grew from unusual places before descending into the slew of limbs that took the townfolk. Its head was round, yet deformed, blood-soaked teeth hooked outward from its maw, spanning most of its skull's circumference. A pair of scarlet-lit eyes beamed from above its mouth, accompanied by others more amphibious in appearance. It roared as it hoisted itself from the well, its immense size squeezing through the portal. Barely seconds after it emerged, the light in the room sank away into oblivion. I was alone in the darkness with this creature of madness personified. The only thing I could see were the eyes of Scarlet as they shined intently at me. A single heartbeat pulsed that was not my own. It shook my body in a wave of chills. The creature thing before me hissed and its eyes drew closer. Again, the sensation resonated through me. This time it was closer, yet so was the creature. A third time it came, only sooner than between the first and second beat. Then again, then again, its pace was quickening. I felt the pulses reverberate just beyond my pistol's end, just below the scarlet eyes that approached and glared mere feet away. Its heart, the heart that must be slain, it must be below the eyes. Its foul, warm breath extended over my body. I had to pull the trigger now, or it had swallowed me whole. The shakes stopped, my right pointer twitched, a blast rang out. Something small struck the other end of the chamber. The heart and smell of its breath vanished, yet still I remained in the dark. Hours seemed to pass, though possibly only minutes, before I gathered the courage to open my eyes. Everything was dark still, yet at eye level to me, the same scarlet eye stared back. 
They didn't move, nor did they blink. I knew they were watching me, waiting for me to open my own. You did well. My face contorted with shock. The rasp reminded me of its roar, yet it spoke in Grandfather's voice. You always were a smart kid, but then again, I raised you to be that way. Groomed for curiosity since the day you formed thoughts. Twenty some odd years, but it finally paid off. What's the meaning of this? The riddle I wrote led you here, though it was obvious where here would be. The heart that must be slain. A seed of subtlety planted to strike what I made you perceive as my heart. Instead, you destroyed my shackle, and for that, you have my gratitude. Why are you telling me this? Satisfaction? Brag before you eat me as well? No, no. You will live. I intend that as a gift for falling for my ruse. But it will curse you as well. You will remember this only in your deepest dreams. Though no one will believe you. Its scarlet eyes closed as a vacuum pulled me backwards. I screamed something at it, though after I hit a solid surface behind me, I couldn't remember what. Everything was scrambled from then on. My eyes were finally open and the nurse was at my bedroom already. It's time for my morning medication after all. I'd like to leave this place, but they won't let me. I tried to give them my name, but there are no records I existed. Tests have shown nothing. No one knows of me and no one has ever heard of Oakshire. Now they call me John Doe. I think that's a nice name. I've told many doctors my story, but none of them believe me. No one ever heard of Oakshire, and it doesn't exist on any map. They all think I'm crazy. I know I'm crazy, but so what? I know what I saw in that nightmarish hellscape. It's alright, though. I can't say I blame them for not believing me. I wouldn't believe me either. A Riddle in Oakshire, Part 2 If the heart was but a chain, and madness truth, follow, Ben, the silent song, till others for others come. My eyes blinked back my senses to the waking world. A nurse pushed old man Aaron through the hall and past my room, heavily sedated in his wheelchair. Thuds rang methodically from the wall behind me. Deborah must be at it again. The colorless, bland world I had come to know resonated a likewise white and static noise. I kept nothing of my own, not even my name. The doctors gave me one, though. They called me John Doe, and they still do. I remember thinking it's a nice name. Although I was aware it was not so by birth, I possessed nothing else of my own. A bit repetitive, I know, but everything blends together after a time. My stay had been a pleasant one. I knew the asylum housed the deranged and sick. My fellow tenants fit the description quite well, but overall, I was met with little trouble. Morning medications proved a salve to my mad delusions, something about an otherworldly cult and riddle-speaking monster, 
Regardless, it was all utter nonsense. Just when I thought my world would finally slip into the quiet of normalcy, a new phenomenon cast its shadow upon me. Whensoever my thoughts strayed to daydreams, of which I grew particularly fond of, a riddle I never heard insisted on echoing in my mind. It spoke of a heart, chains, madness, and truth. A rhythm to follow and mention of so-called others. More so than words, the voice that spoke the riddle shrunk my heart into my stomach. Its crisp shrill forced my hairs on end. Memories of my delusion had grown fuzzy over many months and pills. But I at least recalled no such familiarity when compared. The voice and its riddle quickly forged a new haunt upon my life. I craved beyond control to speak up, but I feared the backlash more. I was admired as the most patient, compliant, and formally sane among my peers. I was repulsed at the idea of relapse, let alone its mention. The loving staff would be so disappointed after all. My decision to withhold such verbal visitations only worsened. The voice began as merely a murmur, but over weeks its volume elevated to a shout. It refused to remain a casual whisper, like gossips at the lunch table. It announced, no, demanded, I listen and pay heed. I couldn't block it out and neither could the saving grace of my merry medication. The worst arrived on a special bright and celebratory morning. I was excited to celebrate the three-year anniversary of my stay. I knew it may strike normal folk as bizarre, but anything was reason to liven the monochrome greys of my world. First, I received my medication, per usual, from the lovely and stunning Miss Williams. Such a wonderful woman. Had I not been so touched in the head, I would have loved the opportunity to ask her out. Next came breakfast with nothing out of the ordinary, for us at least. Deborah always managed to find a wall for her head. Such a silly girl, that Deborah. I returned to my room after my fair fill of undercooked eggs and mashed potatoes. The medication took its hold right on time, and with its embrace I would be content until dinner. That was when they planned to hold my anniversary party. Truth be told, I was happy with the simplicity of it all. My sight blurred, unknowingly to me, as wandering thoughts drifted me away. I fancied images of balloons, cakes, and congratulatory cheers. All was bright, colourful, and filled my heart with such belonging. As my imaginary sensations peaked to emotional ecstasy, a deep darkness swallowed it up. I floated in the void, cold and naked. The voice shrieked its same riddle through my ears and rippled under my skull. Its depth surged and tormented me like a horn pressed and blared against my face. The noise, the shrill, the cold, the words. I begged for it to cease with all my being. And so it did. 
My eyes blinked away the nightmare. I found myself on the floor and leaned against the wall. The light from my window flooded my room in the brown crimson of dusk. Unlike previous instances, my head ached terribly. I rose from the floor, still groggy, and approached my bed. I thought to exit my room, but I underestimated my wariness. That aside, something didn't feel right. I couldn't put my finger on it, but there lingered a sense of familiar dread in my chest. I looked out the window and lost the breath in my lungs because of it, whereas normally I'd observe the pristine courtyard and imposing gate. Nothing existed outside. Twilight shunned through my window, yet it came from a sky with no sun and a landscape that wasn't there. As if by natural impulse, I twisted myself away from the sight and toward the door. That's when I realized another oddity. The entrance to my room was without a door. I cautiously rounded my bed and toward the empty frame. I gulped hard at the ever-intensifying weight in my chest. I distinctly remember telling myself no good could come of it. Despite my mind's plea to stay, my body bid me venture into the hallway. When I succumbed to the impulse, to my dismay, a different sort of sight greeted me beyond. Rather than the hallway where old man Aaron frequented in his wheelchair, I found myself facing an unknown street upon a likewise unknowable sidewalk. I turned to my left and saw homes of residents unseen. I turned to my right and saw unmanned stores. There was no space between the structures and how the street curved up as they passed my point of view. Then I looked a street and its buildings hung hundreds of feet above my head. All of it was upside down. I glanced to either side and realized the upward curves of the street where I stood led up to it. It was a singular, circular gravity-defying street. The shock didn't set in at all. That is, until I noticed the inn and police station on the street above me. A sharp chill shot from the soles of my feet to the top hairs of my head. I didn't notice it until then, but the red sky cursed everything to the terrible, ugly color of ancient rust. Panic set in. I couldn't move at first. My mind forbid it, having froze me in place. My body, however, kept true to its instincts. I pivoted on my heel, practically airborne in haste to run back. Rather than the comfort of my room, I was met with the flat, unforgiving surface of a brick wall. <clears throat> the impact didn't knock me unconscious, but damn, I wished it had. I clawed at the featureless surface as I shrieked and begged through tears, sobs, and snot. No, please! Oh God, I need out! Please, I need out! It loops and loops and doesn't stop! It's insane! God damn it, please, let me out! My demands went unanswered, faded into the windless silence. My frantic disposition eventually crumbled away with my sanity. I bundled into a ball then and there, mumbling to myself like a soldier returned to war. Help me, help me, help me. 
I don't want to go back. I don't want to go back. Don't wanna. Don't wanna. My words became utterly unintelligible, lost to the flooded memories of a nightmare I'd long forgot. They broke to pieces the dam of my psyche and drowned away everything I thought to be true. The medicine, nurses, and doctors did all they could to protect me from the cruel mad truth. After three peaceful blissful years, I had been forcefully spirited back to the hell that was Oakshire. The riddle echoed back, its words were returned to a whisper, but I heard it as clear as when it was screamed, as if by impulse I murmured its lines below my breath. If the heart was but a chain, a reference to the heart that must be slain, for sure. I shot the heart, but it proved only a ploy of my monster grandfather, that hideous, disgusting, ghastly, ungodly abomination. Not a heart to slay, oh no. It was a chain to break. A fucking chain. And madness truth. The madness was true, alright. After all, my delusions were real in the end. The riddle made sense. As sensible as mad riddles go. Follow, then, the silent song. The second half, without reference, proved tricky. Follow a silent song. Alright. Music without noise, or maybe without a voice. There was nothing to go on as of yet. Till others, for others, come. Nonsense. I knew nothing of what others could be, for one. Others could be anything. And anything was possible in... Other Shire. As if to reply to my pondering, a low, guttural hum rose to my ears. It came for a moment, three seconds at least, but then stopped. Five seconds passed before it bellowed again. Three seconds more it stayed, and gone again. The pattern continued like a song of skipped pieces. The song! Yes! I scrambled to my feet, almost getting myself tangled in my hospital gown. I thought which direction to sprint towards. I took a left, but it didn't matter. It all looped back in the end. It always looped back, forever in fact. Madness permitted. The hum was loudest when I stood on the street between the inn and police station. Either made sense, but the inn housed my grandfather once before. I took to the door and, like my previous visit, slammed my shoulder through it. I sprinted to the office behind the innkeeper's desk. I searched frantically for the secret passage, yet found no evidence of such. The hum was quieter than when I was outside. I caught my breath, walked out of the office in a leisurely pace, and slowly closed the door behind me. When I reached the desk, the radio caught my attention. I was in such a hurry I barely noticed passing it by. Static whistled from speakers as I questioned how long and lonely it sat at its post. Other. My heart skipped and startled me enough to leap backward. Had I not closed the door, I would have surely landed in the middle of the office floor. I clung to the door's frame and waited with bulged eyes for another word from the crackling noise. Other. Othershire. In. 
I clenched my chest in vain effort to still my crazed heart. If I listened closely enough, there could be sense heard from the spewed gibberish. Static gave through to blurred words in every second word and sometimes every third. It was all a matter of learning the sentence length, recognizing the space between static and words, and piecing the words together to form it. I solved puzzles more complicated than that in my youth. Mad or otherwise, this would be no more difficult. Hid. Other. Station. Twice through and the puzzle solved itself. Other in Oakshire, followed by other in station. Too easy. The other it mentioned was at the police station, as I thought. Just as I sought to make my way out, more words buzzed out for me to solve. Don't. Doors. Key. Floor. Very peculiar. Doors, keys, and floor are too vague without context. Open. Use. On. From the pacing, I heard a word missing from both messages. Don't. Doors. Use. On. Floor. Don't open doors was clear enough. There was a word before floor that could give me a necessary hint. I needed to hear that absent word. Open. Use. On. Floor. What floor? Which floor? Tell me, damn it! Doors. Key. Free. A piercing cry screamed from the radio's frame before erupting into dozens of metal shards. The antenna shot straight into the wood of the door by my head, but my eyes laid fixed on its smoldered remains. My teeth tensed hard enough to bleed my gums. I lashed out at the useless hunk of scrap. After I was able to stop myself from mindlessly beating at an inanimate piece of garbage, I noticed something cut my knuckle. I winced and grabbed my hand as I hissed at the pain. My faculties returned to me. No sense in losing myself to rage, let alone the madness of this place. Oakshire's layout was utterly changed. The inn sat at the end of a cul-de-sac, and the street stretched on before looping back overhead and beyond. I walked to the cul-de-sac center to look back and see how far the street above me went. It ended similarly to how it began, but with the police station at its end. Don't use doors. Right. An easy mistake, one which I blamed on my frustration. Othershire was a devilish place, so I resolved to not take its fickleness lightly. I proceeded to sprint up the street, but stopped just as quickly. They danced from every house, store and establishment. They shrieked, laughed, wailed, and sang from grotesque, inhumanly long smiles lined with longer teeth. I remember their grisly visage, and worse still, their hollow, empty eyes. The residents of Othershire sprang toward me, merry and terrifying. I tilted my head up to the street overhead. The damn things were up there too. I had to run, but there was nowhere to run to. They came from the inn too. They would swarm me in moments, ten seconds if I was lucky. 
other side doesn't know luck. It knows only what it wants, and it clearly wanted me for a long while. You can't have me! I took the only option available to me. I clamped my eyes shut and dashed directly towards the crowded mass. My feet carried me aloft like a madman in frenzied flight. Their discordant noises were heard all around me. I didn't care. I was making it to my destination. I would find this other whatever. It was my only chance of escape from that hell. Sweaty, bloated hands clawed and grabbed at me. They tore away my gown. They bit at my arms and legs. I couldn't stop. I wouldn't stop. I needed to get past them. I needed to reach the station. I needed to be free. The nightmare needed to end. Their bodies were piling on me. They lunged at me, grasping at my limbs. I couldn't open my eyes as they would only serve to succumb me to the horror beyond their lids. I felt a visceral rip from the entirety of my right ankle. Did they just tear off my foot? Teeth and nails bit into my flesh. My momentum is slowed down. Bones crunched in my elbows and knees, followed by heat and lightness in them. I couldn't open my eyes yet. I was too terrified. A sickening cold coursed through my veins as my thought faded to oblivion. I woke up from the darkness that took my senses. I laid on the street, sprawled in an awkward position. I could move my arms and legs, but I swore insensibly at the fact they were torn off me. I lifted myself from the concrete and faced the congregation of inhuman men, women, and children. They stood there, gawked, with unhinged jaws. They stared deep into me, and nothing else. Their formations allowed a path directly down the middle of the street. I was permitted to pass? There was no sense making sense of any of it. I had my chance. Where I walked, their ghoulish expressions followed. They moved to fill the path as I passed them. Their noiseless moors were akin to when they looked upon me in Grandfather's prison. Perhaps theirs was the silent song of the riddle. Either way, I followed the way they left for me. Their gaze had a weight unlike before. They beckoned me to proceed. The police station was just ahead of me, and with it their voicelessness sank into my bones. They didn't desire for me to finish what I started. They craved it. I froze before the entrance door. Don't use doors, echoed in my ears, or possibly my mind. I didn't know anymore. There was an open window just to its left. If my memory was accurate, it would place me directly beside the twin cells. I never thought I would need to break into where once I broke out. But everything is a loop here. I climbed through the unlocked window. Fortuitous, but I kept my guard. Everything was as it was before. The desk, the office door, the cells, all the same. With the exception of one. A skeleton sat within my old cell. It wore my old clothes, sat in the same posture from when I was cuffed. I didn't question the implications of the scene. My cellmate's prison was vacant, yet possessed its own melancholy. He was so tired, 
too weak to live on. What they did to him was unforgivable. That's when the remainder of the message flashed into my thoughts. Use key. I opened my rusted cell and knelt beside the skeleton. I lifted its foot and found my cellmate's skeleton key beneath it. It was only a hunch, but a profitable one. As I took the key in hand, the skeleton crumbled into a pile of fine dust. Even after death, my cellmate still aided me in the quest to combat the evils of that place. I forgot his name, if he even offered it to me. I promised his sacrifice would not end in vain. Although he was a stranger, he proved to be a true friend. Friend. The last piece locked into place. The radio, the word it failed to mention before breaking. It was friend. Use key on friend's floor. That's what I missed. I scrambled to the other cell. I frantically brushed away as much dust from the floor as I could. Sure enough, a keyhole was built into its cold surface. I thrusted the key in and twisted it with unnecessary force. It sank in as if the floor were made of some gelatinous substance. The building quaked alive, accompanied by a ghastly wail from above. The truth was finally at its end. The nightmare would finally be over. I could finally go home. The shaking settled down, and with it, the monstrous noise. All was quiet. All was still. Any second from then, something was going to happen. I was either to escape, or face the next obstacle required to do so. The end of it all was near. I could feel it. But nothing happened. I glanced around, determined to investigate a change. Nothing. I called out to anyone who could hear me. Nothing. I padded myself down to see if there was anything changed. Still, nothing. Panicked. I rushed to the door. I caught myself just before opening it. Fortunately, I had enough composure to not fall for such a trap again. I carefully removed my hand from the doorknob and approached the window from where I entered. I looked outside, and all the air in my lung rasped out of me. The roads and its structures disassembled and floated up. The residents were likewise torn apart by forces unseen right before my eyes. Oakshire unraveled into a vortex of bricks, wood, flesh, and blood. The police station then joined in the parade of chaos, which left me to face that which loomed over it all. Its size was incomparable to any organism I'd ever seen. It hissed and roared from moors that held no depth beyond their dry lips and dagger fangs. Spindly limbs of variable length and girth branched out like the roots of a gnarled oak. Some of it extended so far that I couldn't see where they ended midst the crimson rusted void. Everyone and everything gravitated toward them, devoured without prejudice. It gnawed on something within the largest of its mouths. I couldn't see the bulk of the meal it chewed, but what jutted from its sloppy bites was clear. The morsels, numerous, arachnid-like legs were unquestionably recognizable, having scarred my memory for so long. It was Grandfather. 
A shattering static erupted from the entity and into my thoughts. I clawed at my ears and eyes relentlessly. The truth, its truth, bored into the wrinkles of my brain. It was finally clear everything made sense. At last, I was free of doubt. All was as it should be. Slagesh was fool to hide from Great Pathak. He was but a dreg after all, blood and bile, to all dreg that fall from the faceless flesh. Him and his Sulgiver could never remain forever. It needed only the stench of a Vogue to guide it here. I unknowingly completed the unknowable task the one almighty and terrible Pathak so willed. Degarth and Mygath would be pleased as well, had they not deservedly served its appetite eons prior. What next to feed Great Pathak? What others to visit its hunger upon? Will my former world suffice? Surely more dreg lurk within its deeper wretches, and more vog to appease the endless stomach. You will? Splendid! Wondrous! Blessthun Agnash! My body ascended along with the rest, so my flesh may be as Pathak. As my paltry morsel reached his lips, the euphoric caress of its fangs welcomed me with gratitude. It sank and gnawed so carefully, so tenderly, so viciously. Praise to Pathak, great lord of dead Morax. Hallowed be its hunger, Blasthun Agar. A tantalizingly creepy finish for a riddle in Oakshire. No <laughs> praise be to Pathic indeed, listeners. I really love that twist in the end. The screams, the static, the pure insanity. Gotta say, it definitely oozes from its many written tentacles the flavor of HP Lovecraft. And mates, that's what makes it great. I haven't had a solid Cthulhu story on here for a while. So it's a lovely slice of unique that I welcome on the podcast. So my brilliant listeners, do you praise Pathak, the great lord of dead Morax? Or, like me, acknowledge that this is an option, but would rather chill and have some tea. <laughs> have a fantastic weekend, you brilliant people. Drop me an email at storiesfablesghostlytales at gmail.com. Leave an iTunes rating or a YouTube comment or even suggest your own stories. I don't bite, I promise. And I love hearing from you listeners. More stories hitting your way Monday, mates. And as always, till next time.